Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 31 of the In the 11 podcast hosted by myself, Brendan Griffiths, currently recording from Denmark. Have an exciting episode planned for you guys today. Had another repeat guest on the show. Mark Dillon is back with us today, and we are talking Germany. We're talking the Talent Project, and we're talking this really interesting idea that he has of whispering talent when we refer to specifically kind of American players or really any young players who are in an environment where their talent isn't you know, allowed to come to the forefront and their their talent isn't allowed to to be shown to the world yet and we talk about bringing them to an environment where we can foster that talent and develop players into into those superstars that we see are starting to see some American players do so for those of you listening thank you so much for sticking along with my journey and, and hanging out for all these different episodes it really means a lot to me before we get started, if you can do me a favor and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this podcast, I would greatly appreciate that. If you could leave a review, helps the podcast grow as well on all major platforms. And, you know, share this with your friends, share this with your family, help the podcast grow and help this community kind of grow and we can reach as many people as possible with this content. Once again, thank you so much. And here is Mark Dillon. are joined today by another repeat guest on the In the Eleven podcast. Uh, excited to have him back on the show and uh, to hear the update on everything that's going on in Germany and abroad. We have a great conversation planned for you guys today. We have Mark Dillon, CEO and founder of The Talent Project with us today. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Join life in Germany. Hopefully, we're going to get out of this COVID thing and get our games going. But uh, we're doing well, busy, and making progress. Excellent. So, I know many of our listeners probably are familiar with you, but we've probably picked up a few new ones along the way here. So, maybe if you want to introduce yourself a little bit and what it is that the Talent Project is, what's this project that you're working on? Well. Um... Yeah, the Talent Project was created to give American players that were on a or aspiring to be on a professional pathway access to the European development systems because FIFA um, passed their law in 2008, I believe, uh, banning underage transfers being under the age of 18 transfers from one country to another that basically locked our Americans or our talented Americans out of the system and they couldn't get in. So we created the talent project as a international study program where the guys would come over, they would learn the language, they would do their school, they would uh, develop cultural agility. But meanwhile, they were um, also training in a professional development system twice a day. And so they got the full advantages of being in a Bundesliga program without falling out with uh, in FIFA law. So we've had tremendous success with this program in developing players. And uh, we're now about ready to start our third year in August. Excellent. And so we wanted to have a conversation today. I know you had mentioned this, and it's a topic that we had briefly touched upon in the first episode that we did together. 
And it seems as if it's maybe part of the inspiration for why you began the talent project, this idea of whispering talent when we refer to American players who come overseas and, and try their trade over here in Europe. Maybe give us a little insight. What does whispering talent mean to you? And, and what is that kind of that term? Well, it, it, it really refers to players that are undiscovered. They or passed over, they're overlooked, uh, or they haven't reached their potential. And there's a number of reasons for that, and not, not the least of which are players develop at different stages. They don't get the, um, the intensity of training, the competition, the coaching, um, or sometimes their talent just takes longer to develop. But in the American system, unfortunately, I think that Americans tend to be about two years younger in European years two to three years younger because they don't get that level of intensity at the right time. And so very often we see our players, even sometimes even at the MLS levels who come in very average uh, for at the professional level. And by the time they're 25 or 26, they all of a sudden they start to blossom and then the real football starts to come out of them. So we tend to judge players a little bit too early in the United States. And, and, and a good reason for that is that everything is based on competitive results. So you can have a player that's really in a highly successful team scoring a lot of goals and doing everything exactly wrong. And that's the, the, uh, um, uh, the irony of professional soccer or youth soccer rather where you know, you can be highly successful by, by doing everything wrong. The problem is that catches up to them. Yeah, And by the time they get to 17 or 18 years old, they haven't developed the necessary habits. Sometimes it's too late to correct them. So whispering talent really refers to these kids that are undiscovered, that are uh, not always undiscovered, but sometimes they just haven't developed their full potential. They could be excellent players, but they, they're capable of much more. And so you want to put them into an accelerated learning environment, an intense learning environment, and all of a sudden, wow, they just explode. So would you say you feel as if the, the European model or specifically the German model in teaching the game and educating players and how to play the game, is that where that whispering talent is then allowed to blossom? Because it sounds like maybe in America, there's too much of a, of a focus on that competitive team result than the individual players' development? Well, it's a little bit of both. You have both the team development and you have the individual player, but it all starts with the player. I mean, everything starts with the player. I mean, you can, you can, you can tactic people to death, but, you know, quite honestly, if you don't have the players, then it really makes no sense. So, uh, you know, the German system here is designed to, with a very early emphasis on technical mastery. And then they start gradually interjecting tactical concepts along the way, starting with small groups and larger groups than the entire team. Now, I guess one thing that came to mind when you were speaking about the American system that I'd be curious to see your thoughts on is how would you, how would you combat the idea of, I think in this United States right now, as a young player, you need to have, as maybe as not correct as it should be in terms of the way players are scouted in our country right now, they need to be kind of in those environments where they're winning and be able to be seen by those higher level coaches or by coaches that are, you know, willing to take a chance on them because they might not go into those more grassroots places where 
you could find a whispering talent. Obviously, you and your company and your program are trying to change that narrative. Um, but that, that way that we scout kind of in the United States is very different than it's done overseas. So what would you say to kind of someone who has is trying to combat that that way that we scout and, and develop talent in the States? Well, they're doing better at it because, you know, now they have scouting licenses that are being uh, 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 directed by the Federation. And that's teaching people to take a different look at how players are evaluated. Sometimes, you know, a player could be having a lousy game, for example, but you just know that there's something there. You know, when the player walks into the room, you say, well, there's a football player. You know, this guy can this you can see there's an athletic. You can see a balance. You can see the use of the eyes, the way the head is turning. And sometimes they just can't, um, uh, sometimes they're just not having a good game, but you still know the talent is there. Mm-hmm. And these are the players that you really, sometimes you really need to pick up. Obviously, if a kid is just lightening it up, lighting it up out on the field, then, you know, you say, we got something special here. But a lot of times it's the hidden talents that, that takes more of a discerning eye and a more educated eye to, to be able to pick those guys out. Mm. And what do you feel like, maybe it's, maybe it's too broad of a question or simple of a question, but what do you feel like is that main difference that, uh, you know, a player who is a whispering talent in the United States comes to Europe or comes to Germany as a part of your program? What do you feel like is the one, or not the one thing, but what is that environment like that just creates such a different atmosphere for them and allows their development to excel? You know, one of the things that we saw in our players that is that they had a difficult time concentrating from first moment to last. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with the fact that very often players that are on the top teams are dominating their competitive competition, their competition. And so, you know, if you get three nothing up on a team, you have a tendency not to concentrate so much. You have a tendency to let down. Over in Germany, if you're seven nothing up, they're trying to make it eight, and we dial back, and uh, that creates bad habits. Unfortunately, you don't like beating up on weaker opponents, but at the same time, we've seen, and I've seen this over a number of years, uh, even with top players that ended up in our national teams, that when they initially enter into the European system, they have they have these moments where you can see they've shut off. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be just thirty seconds, it might be sixty seconds, it might be two minutes or it might even be a longer period, but there's periods where they just shut off. And, and when they're in, integrated into the system here, they're forced to focus. They're forced to, develop, uh, forced to develop a much higher level of concentration. So they're completely switched on from first minute to last. And that's one of the big things that, that is critical in, in taking a player up to new levels. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I noticed that while I was playing in Germany, and, you know, to be fair, it wasn't at the youth level. So one can argue there might be differences there, but it's true. There's a very, I would almost say a ruthless mentality to the way the game is played. You know, if you're ahead, you know, if you're beating an opponent, there is no take your foot off the gas. There is no, okay, let's go easy on them, which you sometimes see in this, in the States at younger levels. And like you said, it, it, you question whether or not that's the best for the game because you're kind of creating an artificial environment there if you're saying oh take it easy on the opponent because you know you've you've garnered a a four or five six goal lead now it's time to take your foot off the gas I think that kind of maybe deters away from the the integrity of the game so to speak 
Well, I, I, and, and there's some opponents who are getting beaten up that would also look at it that way. You know, why are you taking it easy? Don't insult us. You know, we expect you to give it your best performance against us. And nobody likes getting beaten up on the field and nobody likes to lose eight, nothing. But unfortunately in the professional environment, maybe in the amateur environment, maybe it could be a little bit different, but certainly when you're trying to develop professionals, you have to be ruthless and you have to keep your, your, your foot on the pedal the entire time and that means that if you're missing easy shots if you're you're not finishing your opportunities or you're giving the ball away carelessly that means you're developing habits that are going to be detrimental to your your development yeah and and as you create this idea of of staying kind of dialed in for 90 minutes as you're trying to to teach your players how to do this what are some of those things that you're trying to do to change their mindset is it you know, is it there a fitness component to it that you feel like maybe mentally they're switching off because they only have 75 minutes of fitness in their legs? Or is it strictly a mentality thing? What are some of the things that you try and instill to change that mentality of maybe, you know, going from 75 minutes of being locked in to now can we can we extend that to 90? Well, I think you raise a good point there. Fitness has a lot to do with your ability to concentrate because the first thing when the legs start to go, the first thing that follows that is the brain. And uh, so uh, you, it does require a higher level of fitness, but they get a higher level of fitness over here because training is very intense. In fact, we sometimes we see a lot of, of, of minor injuries in the players because their bodies have not been conditioned for the level of intensity of training, particularly when it's twice a day. But again, when they're in an intense session, they're often as cognitive as they are physical. And so your brain comes away tired, but you're also developing your capacity to concentrate while you're in that intense session. So it's a learned behavior. It's a conditioned behavior. And it's, it, it's part and parcel to standard development protocols over here. You've got to be able to train with maximum intensity the whole time. And uh, I think one of the things that's very, very important over here, and it's very, very important to note, is that they, while they go 100% and very, very intense, sometimes they do less in training in terms of the amount of time. And I think that we have kind of an attitude as more is better. So let's fill up the bucket as high as possible. But they recognize that sometimes you get to a point in training where you're losing concentration and it's become an endurance contest. So they don't want that. So they may say, okay, let's get down to business. We're going to go fully intensive. We're going to go for an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes, but it's full out. But then you stop and then you go recover and they take recovery very carefully, uh, very seriously as well. So they don't want to overtrain you. And then when you arrive for training the next time, they want you fully ready to go 100% intense again. So that also requires to make sure that recuperation recovery is taken very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the recent episode that I just recorded with my coach over here in Denmark, when he had visited the, he had visited uh, Alkmaar in the Netherlands and they trained every day they trained for one hour and that was it. But like you said, it was an hour, but it was at maximum intervals. It was an incredibly high intensity and they pushed themselves for that entire hour. And then, you know, the recovery, like you said, was such an important piece of the puzzle. I think a lot of times too, yeah, maybe that's a, an outdated mindset. And just in terms of physical workload that we have in the States that you need to do multiple hours a day. And really it's about what can you, what kind of 
energy level can you exert in the time that you're doing? Because like you said, if you get to a two hour training to plus, then what is really the product that you're putting forth there? Are you really giving forth your best effort by, you know, one hour 45 or two hours into that session? Well, you, 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 yeah, you get to the point where you're just, it's, it's counterproductive. You know, you've kind of reached the point where you're learning and you could actually be going backwards as you try to drag the training session on and on. And so that's very, very important, the time manage of a session. Now we talk about you know, developing superior performances. We talk about the 10,000 uh, 10, hour rule. Mm-hmm. You know, they're finding that it's not necessarily 10,000, but it's somewhere between eight and 10,000 hours. So you're looking at really development of uh, approximately, I think the number is 2.57 hours a day for 10 years. And I'm not sure my math is correct on that, but it's somewhere in that range. So if you take two sessions a day and you're you're at an hour to an hour and 20 or 30 minutes per session or or maybe a longer one, uh, and then you can include recuperation sessions. You can recoup, uh, you could uh, include your yoga, you can include your uh, stretching sessions, you can include your film sessions and your video analysis and things like that. So it's, it's not that hard to get to it if you're in a professional development environment. And that requires also the, the flexibility of your schedule in order to be able to accommodate everything you need. Yeah. And I think the key thing that I learned in regards to that 10,000 hour rule as well was that it had to be deliberate. Like each hour had to be what was called a deliberate training or deliberate hour towards deliberate. your goal, right? It, it can't be, like you said, just filling up the bucket because that's not that's not getting close to that 10,000 hours. It has to be, everything has to be done with specific focus and a deliberate action to how this is going to make you better. Like you said, watching film and like watching it in a real way to analyze the game, not just to watch a match for enjoyment. That's, those are two different things. Absolutely. Um, you know, and like you said as well, training or recovery, is it actually training where you're working on something that's going to make you better or you're increasing your fitness level or something like that? Or is that, are you just going to the pitch just to kind of train to put, to kind of clock in the hours? Well, that's exactly right. You can be wasting your time on the training field field. Uh, uh, and so that, that's the, you know, the term deliberate practice, I think was coined by Dr. Anders Ericsson, who's one of the gurus of, of, uh, of talent development. And, um, but that's exactly right. You have to be focused on it. You have to be concentrated on what the session is. There has to be a purpose to it and it has to take maximum effort in order to really acquire the level of skill and development that they're seeking. Yeah. So do you feel like when your players come over to Germany, it, how is that how is that transition for them? Would you say it's oftentimes more of a, an initial shock as soon as they get there and then they start to adapt to everything that's being placed in front of them in terms of the training environment and a new culture as well? Is that kind of the way that you do it or is it maybe try and maybe do those leaps and bounds when their development come as they progress further on into their time with you? Well, there's an aggregation of factors on that. First of all, we take into account that players are coming in they're anywhere from three to six thousand miles from home they're away from family they're away from friends they're in a strange bed they're away from their parents and the life that they knew has been left behind and so there's a certain emotional toll to that now some are really excited about it some are frightened to death by it but they're still in the same environment so they come in to this place now the food is different they're trying to learn a new language 
they're in clearly involved in a different culture. The facilities are different. And, and most importantly, the game from a, from a training standpoint is much faster and they have to adjust to faster decision, faster control of the ball, faster execution of technique. And this takes some time. And so there, there is a process that goes from that, that first step to where they're kind of feeling their way. They're becoming more, a, um, familiar with their environment, which also gets them more comfortable on the training field. They're becoming more familiar with their teammates. They're becoming more familiar with their coach. They're more becoming more familiar with the sort of demands that are on them the minute they cross the white line onto the training field. And so as that aggregates over time, you start to see it build and you start to see it build and you start to see it build. And the ones that are really driven and this is why character is so important, because the ones that are really driven and are really hungry to learn and really love to play are out there. And then you start to see after maybe a month, six weeks, you start to see those subtle changes. And then two, three months down the road, somewhere between three and five, you start to see them go bang. You know, all of a sudden their their body language has changed. Their decision making has changed. Their posture has changed. Their communication has changed. Their speed of execution has changed. They look like different players. And so if there's a there's kind of a yardstick that that I like to use with players in terms of where they are in the development uh, uh, trajectory. And very often you can stand, if you stand like 200 yards back, for maybe it's for me, it's about 150 because my eyes aren't so good anymore. <laughs> but if you can stand far enough back that you can't see their faces and you can't really uh, see them, uh, you can't tell how old they are by looking at their faces and so on and so forth. If they, if you stand back and they look, you can't tell, they look like they're senior players, like the senior pros, you, then you know that they're on a trajectory. But if they still look, like they still look awkward, they still fumble with the ball, they still have those uh, really slower type of motions, then they're farther back in their trajectory. But when you watch a really, really good youth team, really good youth team, and they're say 15 years old, 14 or 15, sometimes you can stand back about that 200 yards. And you don't know if they're senior pros or if you don't know their kids because they are really well-developed. Yeah. And I want to circle back to kind of what you said in the, in the start of that, that you made a good point that I think, and I think it's something that I didn't fully understand before I came over here was that you kind of mentioned that emotional toll of coming over here and just being away from everything that's comfortable and everything that you've known for your whole life. There's definitely a certain level of just, you know, I'm just uncomfortableness to that. You have to adjust and there's so many new things and, and so many new stimulus in your environment that you're just taking in all at once. And I think the players that really do well, and that's why you said that trajectory is three to five months out where you start to see those things start to happen. Um, that first month, that initial shock is tough. And some players kind of hold in that pressure. And you know, I've known players who they get there and it's just too much. And then they go back. And it's, it's hard to push through that first kind of initial wave. But then, like you said, that makes you stronger. And then those that three to five months period is when you start to settle down a little bit. You start to become more comfortable in everything that's off the field as well. And that then can translate to on the field performance. Absolutely. Um, that, that they need time, they need patience. And, uh, and you brought up a very good point is that a lot of really, really talented players 
end up going home. These, this is, these are what we call talent killers. You know, this environment, this inability to adjust to the environment that they're in. But, you know, we tell our players that, and it's absolutely true that, you know, we only read about the stars. We only watch the stars on the weekend. We don't read about the guys that didn't make it that might've been just as good. So for every Iniesta, for every uh, Messi that's out there, for, for every Ronaldo and, and Salah and Van Dyke and so on and so forth, there's 20 or 30 that were just as talented that never made it because of could have been injury. But very often it's because of their simple inability to adjust to the environment they're in. And they just end up, they fold and they go. Yeah. So this is where mental strength comes in too and character. Yeah. And I think, I think there's so many levels in between as well, you know, especially for us who are, who love to follow the American players that go overseas. You know, we love to see the success stories of the Weston McKinney's and the Gio Reyna's and the Josh Sargent's. But I think, as you mentioned, there's a handful of players as well who come over and then go back because they just don't make it. There's also those players who are still sticking it out, but are kind of struggling to find their form are struggling to find their place in a first team or, you know, do really well. And you can attest to a lot of those things that they're trying to deal with all at once that then, you know, maybe it's another thing that I've learned of being over here is how much things off the field can affect the way that you perform on the field. You know, it's very simple to just say, Oh, he's, you know, he's playing over in Europe and that must be amazing and everything must be perfect. Well, maybe from, you know, from an outside perspective, when you don't truly understand what's going on, it's easy to, to just assume that, but there's just so much that goes into trying to perform at a high level. And a lot of that has to do with everything that's going on in your life off the field. You know, but yeah, that's exactly right. And Bayer Leverkusen actually uh, created a model program for exactly what we're talking about. How do we get the players uh, so they're comfortable so that they can perform because a, a player that's uber talented, but doesn't perform is a bad investment. And they know that. And they found that when they brought over, now they were really good at discovering Brazilian talent that became, you know, you know, like some of the biggest players in Europe. You're talking about guys like Jorginho and Paulo Sergio and, and Emerson and, and uh, so on and so forth. They probably had uh, in any given year, two Brazilians and maybe three in the squad that they would bring in and they would get very cheap, uh, you know, in the low millions and they would sell in the high millions. Uh, but they noticed that with these guys that they would come in and for the first six months, they were a disaster. You know, they just couldn't adjust and the weather was different. The food was different. And, you know, they're very, uh, the Brazilians tend to be very tight family oriented. And so that missing that family was difficult for them. And a lot of times you see some of these players and the, and the press and the fans will say, why did you waste your money on a player like this? You know? And, and then after about six months, all of a sudden they turn the corner and they go, wow, this guy's international. No, now we know why they bought him, but they had to invest significantly in making them comfortable. So what they did is they, they went out and they, they hired uh, Portuguese speaking uh, uh, assistants, I mean, life assistants, so that they could they could bring the family, bring the whole family in. Let's help them find schools for their kids. Let's show the wives where they shop. Let's show them where they can get food, the type of food they're familiar with. Let's create a social environment for them so they have maybe a little bit of an enclave of people where they could get comfortable with. And then they found that in succeeding years, it sped up the process of assimilation. 
And that turned a, a very questionable investment sometimes into a very good investment for them. So it was, it was a matter of making them comfortable. But we do the same. and We try to do the same thing here with Talent Project because we do fully understand that these are teenagers and these have the same demands. There's no different from our guys coming over than there is a kid that's being imported into Barcelona or Real Madrid or something like that away from home. And maybe they come from a lot less distance and they speak the same language but they still have the same sort of problems. We have, uh, it's very, very important in a youth system and a development system that you have people that understand the mentality of the people that they're dealing with, the human beings that they're dealing with. A 15-year-old cannot be treated like a 25-year-old, and a 15-year-old cannot be treated like a 9-year-old. So you have to have people that are, they're educated in pedagogy, they're educated in child development and young person development as much as they are educated in football. Otherwise, the message never gets home and then they become uncomfortable and then they cannot learn. So first, first task is understanding how they learn, understanding their emotional development, understanding their physical development. And then with that as the starting point, then you can start to bring the intensity with the football in, in a way that's stimulating, that's, that uh, encourages and motivates and helps them to move forward. This is really, really critical. And this is what separates good development systems from average ones and average ones. from. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild. And we got to change that here. And Manscaped's going to help you do that. So first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below the waist grooming. And that is because of their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400K LED spotlight, so no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? Pop in the shower, you've got the light as well, easy, and you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that Weed Whacker, the Manscaped Weed Whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin-safe technology, which is going to help reduce with nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate, sensitive areas. Now, last but not least, we can't forget about the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. A lot of you guys, I know you've got a routine with your recovery, right? You've got pre-game rituals, you've got post-game rituals, a recovery routine that you do after, right? Hop in an ice bath, whatever it is, you have to add your below-the-waist care to that. You've got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes and then you come in and you're sweaty and disgusting and you're not taking care of yourself you got you got to do it and manscaped like i said is here to help you in that department and who knows maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game watching you play you know you play a good 90 minutes maybe you bag a goal i don't know you want to be ready you want to be prepared you don't want to be in a situation where you are left without manscaped now 
just because Manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you. The Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped boxer briefs and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time, gentlemen, because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N, at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, I think a reason why I've really enjoyed doing this podcast and starting this podcast was it was a way for me, because I've always felt as if sometimes from the outside perspective looking in that there's just this idea of it just comes down to right? The 11 people on the field. It's 11 versus 11. And it's almost like people put the game into this box within the white lines. And there's so many other things that go into, as you just mentioned, developing a player, developing a person, you know, whether it be a young player or whether it be a senior player who's moved from across the world, there's just, there's a million and one different elements that go into fostering a a high level player who goes on to, you know, do amazing things at the club and international level. And what I want to try and do with this is maybe shed a little bit of light into, into that exact concept for the layman fan who just enjoys the game and, you know, watches a player, as you said, they watch a a player that comes to Bayer Leverkusen from Brazil and is struggling and they just think, Oh, that was a waste of money. Maybe this can be a way for you to start to have a little bit more insight and maybe a little bit more empathy, I guess, to what it is really like to pursue something like this, whether you are a youth player, whether you are a senior team player, as for the layman person watching this game, that's a fan of this game, can understand a little bit more about the totality of the picture of, you know, being a footballer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. I mean, it's football is about people. And if they don't have that part right, then you can talk all day about X's and O's and tactics and systems and everything else. But you're dealing with people and if people are happy, they can learn if they're having if they're enjoying themselves, they can learn. But if they're slogging along, they're worried, you know, they're missing family. They've got other concerns. You know, some kid who's maybe his family's going through a difficult situation. He may not even be switched on to learn may be incapable of learning. And if the, if the staff are not capable of that, they could just say, listen, this kid isn't going to get it. Let's cast him out. Well, this is the example of whispering talent because you can see that talent is there, but this is just one more reason why the, the, the talent killer shows up and takes an otherwise a player with very high potential and he gets lost to the system and then he never comes back. And so we talk about how many players that have been potentially international class players that never got the chance to really show what they they can do. And it's because these 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 uh, landmines, talent killers show up somewhere along the line and they're not able to overcome them. And I think that's a real tragedy. What are what are some of those talent killers? I know you mentioned 
that first initial shock of moving to a new culture and the culture shock maybe can be a talent killer, maybe too. Also, if you don't have the right coaching staff to support your development as a player, that can be one. What are some talent killers that you see or, or you've experienced um, in your time? Uh, yeah, there, there are a number of them. I, I could tell you a, a, a really good example. I can tell you a really bad one. So let me start with the bad one. Uh, I can, I, I don't want to name the name, but I, there was one player that we were tracking for a while that w- was outstanding, absolutely outstanding at 14 years old. And he was much phys- more physically developed than other 14 years old, but he was clearly a major, major, or is major, major talent. Okay. Now the club should have moved him up because he could, he could not only have moved up one level, he could have moved up two and made it still made it a dramatic impact on the field, but instead they held him at his own age group to, um, to create more success for the club. And they feel like they were going, they would sacrifice this player's development in order to create more, win more trophies and Mm -hmm. celebrate the club. Okay. Now to me, this is tragic, absolutely tragic. And it's, uh, you know, you, you're willing to sacrifice a kid's upward or potential in order to have those short-term gains. Now I'll tell you a good example Ajax had a phenomenal midfielder, young midfielder at 15 years old, named uh, 14 years old, named Wesley Snyder. Now, most people that follow soccer know Wesley Snyder. He was a, you know, a vice world champion in the in the World Cup for, for the Netherlands. He won the uh, the Champions League for uh, with Inter Milan. He played at Real Madrid for you know for a number of years, and he's absolutely absolutely international class. Wesley had a problem. As an attacking midfielder, he didn't know how to press. And he always, when the team lost the ball, they were, um, they were basically defending with 10 players. Mm. And the Ajax guy says, you're never going to make it, Wesley, if we can't correct this problem with you. So what we're going to do is for the next two months, you're going to play center back. Now, Wesley Snyder's not the biggest guy in the world. In fact, he's not big at all. He's quite uh, small. Yeah. Okay. Now, so you're, Ajax is telling... Their team that we're going to be exposed in the middle of our defense because we have an under way undersized uh, center back that doesn't like to tackle, but we're willing to sacrifice the success of the team because we believe this guy is going to be a big star for us in the future. And we're not here for the youth team. We're here for the future to develop the future. So Wesley had to go back. He had to learn how to mark, but more importantly, he had to look to re- learn to read what are the players upfield doing to make my job easier back here. And when he started to spot where this guy wasn't running, this guy was pressing, but the other one wasn't closing up the space, he realized where he became deficient. And so when they moved him back, when he learned this lesson, they moved him back up the field, he developed up to international levels. By 17, he was already being considered for the full national team in the Netherlands, and he was playing in the first team in the Champions League. Mm -hmm. So this is an example of one club saying, we have to think about the future and we have to think about maximum development. And other ones thinking it's only about competitive results at the early yeah. age. Now, in your experience as a coach and maybe even more now with your experience with the talent project, have you ever had instances like that where you maybe try something seemingly a little bit unorthodox with a player or try something new to, to shift their perspective within the game and have you ever experienced maybe resistance or questioning from a player of, you know, I've, I've never experienced something like this in the States. What, like, how is this training going to help me? Or how is this 
new position that you want me to play going to further my development? Well, you, you see that all, I mean, not just for, with us, you see it everywhere. A lot of times you see players that, that, that think that they're in one position, but you know, you're watching him and the other coaches are watching him and you say, he doesn't have the characteristics to be successful. He thinks he's going to be, but why don't we try him someplace else? And sometimes it's convincing that he has a bigger upside than uh, if he is willing to shift positions. Now, uh, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a perfect example of that, considered one of the best right backs in the world, but he was always a striker. Mm. And he came through the Liverpool system all the way up until he was about 15, I believe. He was playing on the front line, and they said, you know, we just don't think you're going to have the future that that you, you're capable of in this position. So then he shifted out to the right back, and the rest is history. Virgil van Dijk is another example of a player. I mean, he's arguably the best center back in the world. He couldn't make it as a right back, and he was actually kind of small. This guy's a monster, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he, he was – he was on the small and the frail side playing right back, trying to make it through the divisions in, 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 as a young player and trying to make it at an academy level. And he was really, really struggling until one year he grew eight inches and uh, they moved him to center back. He started filling out and he still struggled for a few years before he had a, a few intermediate stops before he ended up at, at you know, first he, uh, it was a grown again. Uh, the grown again said, does anybody, I'm in the Dutch league. No, no, nobody was interested in it. None of the big clubs said, no, we're not interested in him. He's just not going to be good enough. You know, and then next thing you know, he transfers to Celtic, then to Southampton, to Liverpool. And you see, it was, it was kind of a, a, a circuitous route for this guy yeah. um, to get from, from here where he had to be convinced that he could play a different position and then develop that position and then bang, bang, bang. And then, you know, now he's developed into quite a player. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things I'm grateful for in my development as a player was that I was, I think I was taught to how to play. I was taught how to play football, not play a specific position. And it's allowed me some versatility and to almost become a utility player in clubs that I've been in in the past where I can, because I understand the game and I understand the technique of of different positions, I can play different positions and it allows me more time on the field. And had an interesting conversation recently. I would be curious to hear your thoughts as well Is the idea of specializing versus becoming, you know, becoming a, a just a quality football player, regardless of position. I think there's always going to be a place in the game for players who can do one very specific thing or play one very specific position at a high level. But you see the way that the game is evolving. And oftentimes it, you know, you watch some of the best teams and sometimes it almost looks as if it's positionless football. Like we talk, you know, and I'll even compare it to, you know, sometimes I feel like the way that basketball is moving right now, there's not really, there's not really a point guard every time, you know, sometimes you'll see a, a seven footer dribble the ball up the court and run the offense. And it, it's a very fluid way that the game is played. And I often see that in kind of in on display in football as well, that there's sometimes a, a bit of a positionless kind of game. And it's just, can you, read space and read angles and, and read the opposition to exploit whatever, you know, whatever is the best place for you to attack, regardless of position. What are your thoughts on, on that kind of concept of maybe generalization versus specialization? Well, first of all, I think you can take 
two really, really good coaches or really good development people or, or really or even top level clubs and have a, a really good debate about that. Because some on a really high level will say we specialize our players early. We want them to master that position and that that and then that that's where their future they're going to make it there or they're not. Another one is going to say, um, well, we, we really want to develop general players who have a real good feel for the game. Now, somewhere in the middle, they meet because the guys that are specializing are still wanting the guys to understand what's happening on other areas of the field and still operate there. So that's a little bit of a uh, um a little bit of a misnomer that they're they're only going to be able to play one position. They still want guys to be able to move around. And where the other guys, the other guys who are saying, let's be more general, ultimately they're going to start specializing somewhere down the road. Uh, but what 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 they have in common is that they want players who understand the game. And understanding the game, and you said that you said that you it's, you're exactly right. Um, it's about understanding time and space. It becomes more about pattern recognition and being able to read visual cues. These are the, these are, are what separates players at the highest level who can go out there and really understand. They may have to shift positions in the middle of the game. One player gets hurt, one player gets sent off. They have a, a, a tactical situation where they have to evolve, but good players can evolve within a game without necessarily having the coach uh, 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 coach have to shout instructions from the sidelines. They read what's happening. The guy at the back says they're playing with three strikers. Let's adjust our midfield. You know, the guys in the midfield are saying they're playing with four at the back. Let's adjust our front line. They can see that because they understand the game and they're able to shift things uh, uh, as the game goes along. And this is what we saw with the talent project. As we started playing, when you're playing the, the, the Schalkes of the world, FC Bayern, you're playing uh, teams like Utrecht or Vitesse or, or Borussia Mönchengladbach, players are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And they're really astute. They're tremendous athletically. They're uh, technically perfect. And they're, they really you can see that they understand the game because they're thinking constantly. And you can see that they're starting to shift themselves within the match as they start to look for where where is the team playing? How are they moving the ball? And this is a matter of understanding. And so whether you're specializing, whether you're generalizing, these are the necessarily elements that are going to take them up to the higher level. So they'll all agree on that. Hmm. Now, as your as your players come over and they become immersed in the talent project and they become immersed in the in the system of German football, what's some of the feedback that you receive? from your players uh, about maybe differences that they experience in, you know, terms of play or it, I'm just, I'm just curious to see what is kind of your players thoughts and reactions to coming over and being a part of this. Well, I mean, I think they'll all tell you straight off the bat, the game is much faster. You know, they, they have to, it's not that, you know, if you're driving a car at, at uh, 90 miles an hour and you're cruising along on an open freeway and then all of a sudden uh, you, you get a little bit of traffic or, you know, you, you, you for whatever reason, you have to drive down to, you slow down to 60. You, you feel like you're crawling on the concrete. Yeah. You know, and in a sense, football is a little bit like that. We, we you know, we, we, in many respects, sometimes we can't play at the speed of the European game when you're in the United States because it's too hot. And I said to some of our guys, I come from Florida, I, I, or I've lived in Florida the last 37 years. And, you know, you develop players there. If you're playing in the peak season when it's 
90 something degrees and 90 percent humidity you try doing the counter press for 90 minutes yeah. ain't gonna work <laughs> so you have no. to adjust your game so but the game is still uh but, but so when they get over into the um the european system they'll all tell you that the game is played a lot faster you have to think more you have to anticipate more and you have to be able to your technical execution has to be much quicker the other thing is the intensity of thought and that's one of the things that I think is the, one of the main differentiators because they will, they, they have to think all the time. And the coach might stop a session and say, how many guys are they playing? How many are you playing against? How many guys do you have on the ball? Okay. Where is your support players? Uh, John, how many strikers have they been playing against? Okay. How, how come you've not adjusted because they've only got three strikers and you've, you've had your defensive midfielder back. Now you're playing with five against three. Why would you do that and sacrifice the attack? So they're always being challenged to think, what are you seeing on the field? And so they switch their heads off. They can't switch their brains off. And if they don't come up with an answer, then they, then they have to answer to the coach because they were not thinking. So that is the, the, the cognitive demands, the concentration demands that are placed on these guys that helps make them better. Yeah, it, it is an interesting point as well that you mentioned about geographically, I think something that's unique and maybe climate wise about the United States that you would get that's different from coming over here, where essentially in Germany, the climate is the same regardless of where you are. You know, I, I can even attest to that being a player who grew up in upstate New York and played all year mm -hmm. round. Then I would go down to yeah. Florida and play a tournament. And, you know, by game two, like I'm, I'm cramping up because it's just it's a completely different thing to adjust to. It's, it's almost like you're playing two different games and maybe over here in Europe because of that. Um, some could call it an advantage in terms of the climate. It allows them to you know, for that full 90 minutes, there's a little bit less worry about, you know, becoming or allowing your fitness to, to push you for that full 90 minutes. Whereas in Florida, you can't, you, know, you can't do that. You can't do that in Southern California. You can't do that in Texas where it is a hundred degrees. Well, that's exactly right. And this is where, you know, this is where culture comes in, culture and an environment. You have to, to learn how to play the game a little bit different. You can still be very quick. You still play very fast, but you, you know, the, the, the physical demands as well as the mental demands, but certainly the physical, the sheer physical demands of playing a counter pressing game the way they played over here. A lot of players can't even get that fit. They're just not going to be able to. And that's the, some of the things that separate the players at the, at the higher levels. But if they don't have the training to hardwire them at the early age, at the earlier ages, then they will probably never get to that level. Yeah. Uh, one question I did want to ask you about as well. Um, and I know you spoke, we talked a little bit about, you have this editorial that you wrote for, is it soccer today? Is that what you said it was coming out in? Correct. Yes. Excellent. And, uh, and so you mentioned this idea of kind of transitioning from the whispering talent to, I guess, as you call it, the, the shouting talent, right? Is that, is that the term that you used? Um, what, uh, Talk to me a little bit about that. What does that mean to you? And what is that kind of like to see a player turn into, you know, what you described as a, as a shouting talent? Well, that's the, that's, that's the transformation we talk about. This is where you, you see players that maybe it, it begs the question right off the bat is how do you spot a star before he's a star? 
so you see these players and sometimes they come in, they're just middle of the road. And these are the whispering talents. You, they, they, there's something there. You can see that they're, they've got good athleticism. They've got very, they're competent with their technique, you, but they're just not starring. They're just not making that big an impact on the field. And then you see, as that, as we discussed, they go through this transformation process that takes so several months they're getting quicker they're getting fitter they're thinking more about the game and they're gradually layering on their development of their technical nuances their their physical nuances their fitness level their ability to think their way around the field their their uh their combativeness all these things are kind of starting to aggregate and all of a sudden where did this guy come from now we have we have a couple guys that we said that are are uh that came in that were probably a little bit on the underdeveloped side, but you can see they had real special talents. Uh, and But they were middle, very definitely middle-of-the-road players, performers when they arrived. We could see that there was going to be something more in that. And we saw that by February, all of a sudden, they said, geez, where do these guys come from? You know, they just, all of a sudden, they just absolutely exploded. Both of them are playing at a professional level now before their 18th birthday and um uh and that that's the kind of what's exciting to us because when you start to, it validates your belief in the, the player in the first place and it also validates the fact that the, the the argument is sometimes nature versus nurture okay some guy you think is born to play football and you think oh he's, he cannot miss he's a shouting talent and at 15, you know, you think he's going to conquer the world. By 18, nobody needs to know where he is. He's just gone. And then some guy comes out, he's maybe eighth or ninth on the roster in terms of, of, of maybe even lower than that in terms of how they would rank the, the, the top players to the last player. And yet, all of a sudden, they leapfrog everybody because they had it. They all, always had it. Yeah. But they just bring it out. It hasn't been brought out. And so that's the exciting part about going from that whispering talent to the shouting talent. And when they go from that, they keep it generally. They don't go from they don't go from whispering to shouting back to whispering. They generally go and it's generally an upward trajectory until they reach their peak and whatever that peak is. But yeah, that, that was going to be my follow up question was just how how rewarding or how exciting is that for you, you know, to see your philosophy kind of come to life in the form of a player that's you know able to make that that trajectory and maybe you don't have to say what's the most rewarding part is it is it finding the the you know that whispering talent or is it to see them then become that shouting talent like I just am interested because you know I, I have a passion for coaching as well I did a little bit of coaching and it's it's a very unique feeling to feel like you are helping a player reach their full potential so I guess uh, on a personal note, how how rewarding and how exciting is that for you to to see your project have that kind of success? Well, I mean, that's what keeps us going, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the, the game itself is imperfect and circumstances are always imperfect and you have ups and downs and you have ebbs and flows. But it's all about the players and the relationships with the players and seeing them develop. And you know that when they come in, they're hungry and they want something and when you can feed them. And you can give them more and then you can see them develop and you can see them get to that next level. That's what that's what coaching is about. That's about taking players to the next level, which is why, you know, we, we cannot allow competitive results to hold those players back. OK, we can't be selfish with our players. We have to continue. That's our job as coaches. 
if you want to, you know, if you're, if it's all about, uh, uh, you playing at a, you know, winning championships and trophies at an earlier age, then, you know, go to the AYSO or, you know, some rec league or something like that. And, and everyone's happy and they'll all be out of the game at 18. So what difference? Is, but anyway, what we get back to that, the, the, the coaching aspect of it and the reward of that really it's, it's, it's unbelievable when you see your players do well. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. Sounds exciting. This is, this has been a lot of fun. Another, another great interview. If, uh, if people want to read a little bit or learn a little bit more about your thoughts on this idea of whispering talent, I know we just spoke about that editorial that you wrote. Where can they, where can they learn about that? Well, um, well, um, soccer today has <laughs> my editorial coming out shortly. Uh, we have some information on our website, talentproject.com. That's, that's German talent, uh, pronounced as spelled the German way, P-R-O-J-E-K-T dot com. And, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of really good material out there. If people are interested in, in, uh, finding and learning about whispering talent. Now the, the guy, I'll, I'll give you a clue. The guy that really came up, he called it talent that whispers. Uh, his name is Rasmus Ankerson and he was a coach from Denmark where you're at now. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he came out with this book called uh, The Goldmine Effect, which is, you know, he was an academy director of, of a football club out there. And he had a player that was uh, they didn't want to take at 13 years old. They just said, oh, he's a pain in the ass. You know, he's you know, he's unmotivated. And, you know, we don't think he's got any talent whatsoever. And And all five of the coaches that he had on his staff said, oh, don't take him. But they needed another player. And so they said, let's tell, okay, let's get this guy. You know, we're going to give him a shot, you know. So he gets in and he started going. Well, five years later, he's playing in the Champions League. He's Danish. Uh, this is Simon Kjar. And he's, he's, not, he's, he's going for millions and millions of, of euros transferring, playing at the biggest clubs in Europe. And, but, you know, he could have been t- tossed aside. He was a whispering talent. So he thought about that and he wanted to say, where, well, where do these talent hotbeds come from? And so he went to he went to Ethiopia and, and Kenya to to look at the talent the runner hotbeds there and uh, and uh, to uh, a ski hotbed in Sweden and there's these various places around the world where the, all of a sudden this, this uh, these these hotbeds emerging tried to figure out why that is it's all about environment and people that were there to coach and so on and so forth anyway it's uh, called the goldmine effect rosmus ankerson and another fabulous fabulous book which should be must reading for every coach is daniel coyle the talent code and he does a lot of really good uh, uh description about how real talent is developed and i think both of these books are very worthwhile for anybody interested in developing young people i'll have to add them to uh my next two books my next two reading yes, <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming back on. It was a, a great talk, great conversation. Always good to catch up with you. And uh, I hope everything goes well with you in Germany. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.